hello to all of our mysterious foodies out there. Yes, hello to all you lovers of food, wine, and mystery. Thanks for joining us at Game of Books. I'm Christy, and I'm here in South Florida, and my partner in crime is Kathy. And I am here in South Dakota, where I know you said Christy and I talked earlier today and getting ready for our podcast. And she was complaining that it was a little bit cool in, in Florida today. <laughs> it and, was. <laughs> and I actually thought it was a quite nice day in South Dakota. It was about 27 degrees and the trees were all frosted over. It was beautiful. But I just oh saw our forecast this weekend on mm-hmm. Saturday. I'm, no, I'm going nowhere. It's literally going to be a low of 19 degrees below zero. What? Raw temperature. Yes, yes. No, seriously, though, what do you guys do? Like, no. you can't leave, can you? <laughs> yeah, no, we can. I mean, we're pretty hardy people here. So, yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I think people go out less because it's it's very painful. I mean, it's right. just, you know, so biting. Like, when skin. you breathe, doesn't it hurt to breathe? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I'm thinking. Because, I mean, and yeah. I was complaining, we, we were... but I think No, we... it's... <laughs> It's so funny, I think, how relative temperatures are. I just think that's fascinating. Because it gets to be, you know, 35 degrees here in the winter, and people are literally not wearing their coats because they're so used to it being so cold. Wow, and I just think amazing. that's fascinating. I know. I know. We're, in the fall, 40 degrees would be, feel cold, and everybody's yeah. putting layers on. But Well, so you're going to love it down here, I think. Hopefully the weather's like it is now because it maybe hit 70 today, but it was sunny. And so that's kind of really, really comfortable, you know. Yeah, I love that. It's yeah, that when it gets great. up into the 80s and 90s that can be a little treacherous. Well, I'll put my order in now. I would like that okay. 70 degree temperature. <laughs> well, I'll just I'll just have to do that then. <laughs> or I'll set the air conditioning that cold, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so before we get started, um, why don't you tell us what wine you chose to go with your mystery book? Okay. I chose a Josh Cabernet Sauvignon from Josh Sellers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have done this um, uh, brand, not brand. Does that sound? Yes. Yeah. We've, we've well, done this label yeah. before. Yeah. Right? Label. That's a better um, term. Yeah. That sounds more there we sophisticated. Go. I have to, <laughs> yes, I have to learn my foodie language or my wine language. But um, we've done this before. I Maybe one of the first couple podcasts. But I will clue you in a little bit later as to why I had to choose it again. So, right. okay. Uh, yes. So it is a Josh Sellers and according to our rules that it has to be available in South Dakota and South Florida and be under 20 bucks. And so let's take a drink and tell me okay. what you think. All right. Mm. Okay. So now before you tell me, actually, I'm going to tell you what you know, what the, the okay. flavors are in this wine, because I always think that's so interesting. I know, me too. So it has flavors of blackberry, mm. toasted hazelnut, and cinnamon. Mmm. I might have to have another so set there. <laughs> yeah, I am too. And then it says it's complemented by hints of vanilla and toasted oak. Mmm. You know what? I can almost, I'm starting to think maybe I can feel the cinnamon a little. I like. I, I, I do feel I the vanilla the blackberry. too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't that interesting? I, I wonder how, you know, if there's all these elements coming into this wine and everyone's palates are different, maybe mm-hmm. different elements stick out to different palates. Because the blackberry is what I noticed. Yeah. Oh. So, um, well, and I will, <laughs> it is, it's very good. And this is a really interesting label. The gentleman who started this 
is Joseph Carr is his name, actually, not Josh. Mm-hmm. And he's been in the wine industry for decades. He's been on the business side of it. He's been a sommelier. And then finally in 2007, I believe, he started his own label. Okay. And he said, the wine represents the best of California. It's bold, rich wines that are approachable and balanced. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. He yes. likes both ends, you know, the because he's clearly a sophisticated palate, I would say. <laughs> you know. Well, so, we're becoming very sophisticated, I must say. We are. I think this has a very good beginning and end. I think it's really nice. <laughs> yeah, I, think, I do. I, really, it's, it's very good. I know. They have that in rest this in restaurants a lot down here, actually. You know, when I I had a friend give me a couple bottles of Josh Sellers wine this Christmas, mm-hmm. a lovely gift. Yes. Not the Cabernet, but other varieties, and they do have quite a few other varieties. So that was mm-hmm. a very nice gift. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, Kathy, mm-hmm. you suggested that I look <laughs> into Marie Kondo after our podcast last week, you know, to keep me organized. Um, yes. And um, I did not get to the book yet, which is a bestseller, I understand, but I did watch an episode, actually two episodes of the Netflix series. Oh, you did? Yes, I did. I, okay. I chose I chose the first one I chose was like the empty nester episode and that one um, we got interrupted so I didn't really catch the whole thing but then I watched a downsizing one and it was mm. this really cool family they were just like this nice family of four that um, moved from Chicago to LA to a two bedroom apartment from like a four bedroom four-story townhouse or something oh my yeah so it was they had so much clutter and she came in and brought joy into their house (laughs) isn't she adorable oh my god and I can't tell how old she is she just like looks like a little doll and I'm like going but then she's talking about her kids so I'm like well she's got kids so she can't be you know yeah I don't don't know she's really really petite she's teeny tiny and just so cute i just yes. can't get over how cute I know. and i do like i like organization so i might be a little even more interested in her cuteness because of that yes well i gotta tell I, you in the series yeah. she she introduces herself to the house mm. it's a very interesting thing like she goes okay she meets the family and then she goes now i went to introduce well she has a translator but she wants to introduce herself <laughs> to the house and then so she gets down and like you know gets on her knees and closes her eyes and does some thinking and moving her hands or I mean it's sort of yoga-ish I mean I, I'm thinking seriously because <laughs> you're you're a tiny person too and I'm thinking when you come to my house after you watch this you're gonna do that <laughs> I'm gonna do that you're gonna introduce you like, yourself to home, my house. welcome me yeah <laughs> excuse me while I introduce myself to my your house and I will bring my translator yeah. up. <laughs> <laughs> so you can understand all of my South Dakota. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah, but it well, was really cute. And I really, really thought it was, I thought it was very interesting. I thought it, was. it is interesting. I had read the book because I am an organization nerd mm-hmm. a couple of years ago when it came out. And I think it was a bestseller then. And now it's kind of back on the bestseller list. Mm-hmm. And I, I, if I'm not mistaken, she has maybe one or two other little books. Um, and so one of her probably heard her say this or her translator one of her um concepts is that everything in your home should spark joy yes 
And I believe her second book is, the title is based on that. Okay, you know, yeah, so I know they, the magic, I, yeah. they flashed both of them up, but I didn't notice what the title of the other one was. Yeah, so um, I, I do have, I have two problems with her method, I will say. Okay. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm fully on board, mm-hmm. and I have Marie Kondo at my house many times, <laughs> <laughs> much to my family's chagrin. The first one is that she loves to fold everything in drawers, yes. not... Right? Not top to bottom, but side to side. Well, that is so funny you say that because that was like the main thing that I was think taking away going, I might try that. I should do that yeah. because I don't do that. And I can see how it gets messy when you're like digging around. Well, and I think too, like for example, let's say my yoga clothes. Right. <laughs> I end up using only the top few pair of yoga pants because, yes. you know, I wash them and I put them back in the top of the top of the pile. Yeah. Right. And so I can see the benefit of that. I do not love. Okay. This is really showing my. (laughs) Anal retentiveness. Yes. Yes. I do not love that when you have a few things out of the drawer, Mm -hmm. then the pile gets a little messier. You know, it will. Because it all falls over. Yeah. I don't care for that. No, I I don't think I would care for that either. I suppose the solution would be to put a bookend or something in there. (laughs) But that's Boy, this is like complicated. I don't know. I, know. I think I'm just going to leave okay. my drawers messy. <laughs> At okay, least they're so in that's the drawers. My... I don't know. <laughs> that's my first complaint. And my second complaint is that she says you should really only keep about 30 books in your house. And oh, I have a real crazy. problem with that. That's yeah, crazy, I have, crazy. Oh, yeah. I have 10 times that right now. I know. And Those I are the things that bring you joy. So they can be decorative items joy. too. So yes. that's where we'll yeah. put them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I I'm gonna try to fit in one of her um, Netflix specials, but I have not done so yet. Yeah, you should. It'll be cute. And yeah. if not, we'll watch one down here. How's that? <laughs> that sounds great. That sounds great. Anyway, I think we should have another quick sip of wine, and then I'm dying to hear about your mystery book. All right, I am excited to tell you about it. Actually, cool. Let me have some of that. See if I can taste the blackberry. Mm-hmm. I can. Yes, I can taste Okay, so here's the thing. But I can taste the little vanilla. I could not taste that if I had not read that Blackberry was in it. Well, But yeah. now that I have. So, Isn't that always the way? Sure. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> okay, so my book and my author. Uh, the book is The Last Mrs. Parrish. Okay. And the author is Liv Constantine. That sounds so familiar. I don't know if I've read it. It was a big bestseller um, last year. It's a Reese's Book Club choice. Okay. Has gotten a lot of attention. And before I tell you about the book, Mm -hmm. the author is what really intrigues me because Mm -hmm. it's written by two sisters. Oh. The Liv Constantine is actually a pen name for Lynn Constantine and Valerie Constantine. Oh. I think you might have mentioned this before or something because I did. Are I, they local yeah, to I your area or somewhere? They there? are not. Oh, well then maybe not. They are not. <laughs> they, <laughs> they live though. They do not live near each other. They live, they said on their website, separated by three states. Okay. And do a lot of their work on FaceTime and email. And I think that's fascinating yes. too. Write a book together yep. that way. Yeah, I wonder how they do it. Maybe we can interview them. I don't know. That's what's I know. I'm, I was just really curious by that. I yeah. 
Um, I think because you and I do this podcast together and our blog together, mm-hmm. I kind of can understand collaborating with somebody. Right. But, you know, interestingly, writing's usually, for most people, a solitary act. Right. And so I think it's really interesting to share that. Mm-hmm. So, I kind of, and I kind of wondered if, as sisters, they, you know, could kind of predict where the other was going, you know? Oh, like, my maybe. two daughters are very close. They're very different people, but very close. Interesting. And I can see in their conversations, they kind of have a shorthand still. Uh-huh, you know, that's that cute. Really interesting. Well, um, yeah. do, does, so Liv Constantine, is that what they go by? Yes. Do they have a lot of books out, or is it a... So this is their second. Okay. And their third, I believe, is coming out in just a few weeks. Oh, And wow. I, it's going to be on my TBR pile. Mm-hmm. But I, um, so it made me think of this one, and I thought, oh, this will be fun to do. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. Okay. So the book is creepy. Let's just say it's <laughs> it's creepy. It really is. And so what happened, just the very basic premise of this book is that there's this woman who is very dissatisfied with her life. And she finds another family that she wants to make her own. Ooh. She literally finds another woman who's married to this fabulous man. They live in Connecticut. They you know have a mansion. They mm-hmm. live on the water. They have two children. And this woman decides that that's going to be her life. Oh, that's She's so just creepy. literally set out. That's creepy. It's so creepy. And she, the, op- the opening scene is her, um, the creepy woman, we'll call her. Mm-hmm. Amber is her name, but we'll call her creepy woman. <laughs> okay. Creepy woman yeah, Amber's too um, nice. is at the gym. <laughs> I know it is, it really is. But the creepy woman is at the gym and she intentionally, this is her kind of ploy to get into the nice woman's, the married woman, let's just say, mm-hmm. the married woman's life. And she drops her magazine on the treadmill at the gym and married woman sees it open to a story about cystic fibrosis. Mm-hmm. Creepy woman has done her research and knows that nice woman's, married woman's sister died from this disease. Oh my gosh. And so creepy woman makes creepy. up a scenario that her dot, her sister had died as well, oh, wow. just as a bonding tool. And this woman uses her research and her intentions mm-hmm. to completely infiltrate this family. And that's the story. Oh, that's creepy. I know. So it got me thinking about if I'm creepy this like day that. And age. <laughs> no, no, and if it is, I'm not coming to your house. Uh, please do a podcast next. <laughs> <laughs> I just wondered how susceptible we all could be to this kind of manipulation. Yeah. I mean, you know, she meets somebody, the married woman meets somebody, you know. Oh, I've been fooled innocent. before. Have you? Yeah. I was fooled one time um that when I was like PTA president and um Mm-hmm. And one of the volunteers like t- stole all this money from the fundraiser, oh. and we were at a poor school or whatever. But I thought she was like, you know, she gave me all these sob stories, and she'd do all this volunteer work. So I was going out of town, and I put her in charge of stuff. And we came back, and oh. everything was a mess. I mean, Christy, I know it was. I was. That's when I first became a private detective. <laughs> Christy, this woman infiltrates basically this the married woman the creepy woman gets involved in the married woman's foundation for cystic fibrosis yeah and she blackmails the co um head of the of the group Uh so that she can get herself in there it's very similar to the pta i know i'm telling you (laughs) just a different level i know i just fell for it but Mm -hmm. once i knew then i was like oh my gosh you know how could i have fallen for that but she just knew what to do. And honestly, she would say stuff that would be sort of like that. Like she'd overhear me talking 
like one of my friends was, you know, a, a breast cancer going through that. And she said, oh, I had breast cancer. And she told me, I swear, maybe she wrote this story now. I don't think she, wow. I think she was probably okay. drugs or something. I don't know why she needed I'm a little that. creeped out. Yeah, it yeah. was, it was majorly creepy. And there was nothing, you know, I mean, we went to the police, but they couldn't prove anything because she, the way she did it and everything, she took cash and we just knew it had to be her. And she just kind of like slunk away. So she wow. had like a not, she well, had that, different names and everything. It was weird. <laughs> you have lived out this story because all I was thinking was I, this isn't, this wouldn't be this hard to go and find somebody and do some research. Yeah. And yeah, it, it isn't hard so. because, uh, you know, I mean, especially people, you know, some people are more susceptible probably than others, but that's maybe the glass half full type people that just can't imagine that somebody would be that conniving, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, my dog decided to speak up. Sorry about that. <laughs> I will. <laughs> I, one of the, one of the things that's so creepy about this story is that, um, as she's being sweet and empathetic mm-hmm. to the married woman mm-hmm. and they're talking about their, their sisters who both have died from this horrific disease. Right. One is a real sister and one not so much, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time under her breath or kind of in her thoughts be like, Ugh, wow. I mean, it's just horrible. Oh my gosh. So and you got to see inside her mind too. Yes. You see both sides of it. You see all the right things she says to this grieving um, woman. Right. And then the just callous disregard. Wow. And at the beginning, she says, all she wanted from Daphne, the married woman, was everything she had. I mean, it was just Oh, like, my gosh. So, I mean, her plan is the husband, the house, the money, oh the whole gosh. thing. So it's, yeah, beyond creepy. Ugh. So I want to tell you about the food in the book, oh, yeah. though. Okay. okay? Got to move on to that. Mm-hmm. Okay, first of all, the reason I chose the Josh Cabernet uh-huh. is that at the beginning of the book, maybe third or fourth chapter, the creepy woman is at home mm-hmm. and she opens a quote bottle of Josh she's been saving. It was pathetic that she had a ration, a $12 bottle of Cabernet, uh, but on her measly salary, blah, blah, blah. So she's just kind of has this real chip in her shoulder. She wants that life. Right. And I, and I was kind of irritated by the fact that she said that she had to ration this, you know, measly bottle. Cause I think it's a fantastic bottle of wine. <laughs> And mine cost more than $12. Mine did too. I was about to say, I guess, you know, it's more, because I think mine was on sale for 14 something. I think it was $2 off or something. So yeah, mine was $16.99. Yeah. So that's about what mine normally is. And I was like, gosh, how does she know when things are on sale? Because Kathy picks the wines that are on sale almost all the time. (laughs) I think this might be the first wine that was more expensive in... Um, you could be right. You could be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry about that. Oh, that's okay. okay. So, <laughs> so as this creepy woman infiltrates this married woman's life and just starts taking over, they start, of course, having lunches and dinners and all that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. And they and they live in um, Connecticut, so there's a lot of seafood available. Mm. And they go to the club, you know, her her country club, and they order. Um, the married woman orders a small salad, and the creepy woman orders ahi tuna. Mm-hmm. And I have to tell you. Mm-hmm. I love seafood. Mm-hmm. I do not love ahi tuna. Oh, really? Why not? I know. I don't know. But that stuck out to me. And I thought, you know, I have got to try it again. Because maybe I just I can make have... it for you. Okay, see, I want to try it. Because I have some tuna steaks actually in the freezer right now. Because I get them fresh market. I'll have them on sale. And you buy them when they, before they've thawed them. But, mm. you know, you just thaw them quick. And um, they 
I just put like sesame seeds on it and you can okay. you can make it really quick. Like it's like a couple minutes each side. Well, that's what's so intriguing about it. And I love all seafood. Mm-hmm. And I thought I, I have got to reconsider ahi tuna. Yeah, because I do like it. And, and, you know, I like I put it in like, um, you know, a soy sauce wasabi kind of mixture that really helps to have Mm -hmm. some sort of wasabi sauce or something with it i think too it's yummy now i'm hungry (laughs) (laughs) i i did learn that ahi is a species of tuna that actually has two different types underneath it so when you get ahi you don't know unless you unless you're Seamonger, mm-hmm. which we don't really have many of those in South Dakota. Um, <laughs> but if, if your seamonger tells you, but it's either going to be yellowfin or big eye. Oh. And they're two really different types of tuna. Interesting. Okay, but here's my favorite. Okay. The name ahi mm-hmm. comes from the Hawaiian word for fire. Oh. And why? And why the reason is. That? Oh, now you're okay, going to tell me. So good. <laughs> I am. I'm so excited. It's the smoke produced from the fishing line going over the side of the boat. So quickly when Ahi's caught, because you know it's a it's a strong fish. Um, it's a sport fish, mm-hmm. you know. In addition, and so apparently it you know, like literally causes smoke, and so that's where the Ahi name came from. Oh my gosh, that's so interesting! <laughs> I never knew that, and it's I'm gonna start using that as like my little trivia tidbit. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's it. So the last Mrs. Parrish by Liv Constantine. It's a good read. Read it before their next one comes out. It's a it's a good read. Well, it sounds good, and I will. Okay. Okay. Let's take a drink, and now it's your turn. Okay, so my book is called The Edge of Normal, and it's by Carla Norton. And okay. um, I'm not sure if you recognize the name Carla Norton, but I'm pretty sure she was at Sleuth Fest last year. She did some oh. workshops, but I know she did. I know she definitely was there in 2017 because that's when I got her books. Um, she had a couple books hmm. for sale, and so I got both of them because they, and this is the first of the two, they kind of go together. Um, and, but yeah, she was, she was um, one of the workshop runner people, and she did really, you know, good information and stuff, and that's probably why I bought her book, you know. I, all of the workshops were so great. I know. I, I, um, I know. And you and I shared notes after a few of them, even. I know, I know. And that's why I can't remember if she went to the last one or if maybe it was at a time where I didn't go. Mm-hmm. But I do know in 2017. And also, I think I've seen her at um, other conferences when we've been there, like just as another participant. And Is said, she a Florida writer? Um, no, she lives sometimes in Florida, I think. She's mostly from California. And she also... Okay. Um, she also spent time in Japan. She could probably tell us a little bit about ahi tuna. I don't know. <laughs> because she she started, I think she speaks Japanese. She started out as um, an editor for Reader's Digest in Japan. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and then she, and then she came back to write a true com- crime book called Perfect Victim okay. with um, the prosecutor from that case, which her name was Christine McGuire. And it was, it was based on... Um, Colleen Stan, I don't know if you recognize that name because this was many years ago. I think it happened in the eighties. Okay. Um, but she was she was held captive. The well, Colleen Stan was um, most of the time in a box for seven years. What? Yes. Ugh. So they wrote this book together based on like you know the story from the trial and everything, and um, mm-hmm. it was actually put on the reading list for FBI Behavioral Science Unit. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And it was a number one um, bestseller for New York Times. But anyway, so she, 
decided to switch to fiction. So she went and got her MFA in creative writing and started writing some fiction. And so that's when she wrote The Edge of Normal, which I can tell she drew a lot from the experience with her true crime because this book, um, in this book, the main character is um, a survivor of four years of captivity when she was like, Oh, I heard that. <laughs> that was my cat. Hi, <laughs> Kitty. She's just letting um, me know that it's a half an hour until dinner time. It's okay. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I know. Wait, she probably, maybe she's hearing us talk about tuna and we're like, all right, I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready. Sign me up. Yep. So anyway, um, so yeah, so this, the main character in this has, was a survivor of that. She's like in her 20s now and, you know, she does... So it's it, but it's really, really interesting how she, um, Carla, the author, gives like this real human perspective to these survivors, you know, like really insightful mm-hmm. stuff. And I, so I found it really interesting. And I was reading it, rereading it actually, because I was like, oh, I can use this for a podcast because it's a real good thriller. It really is. And then, um, and then what happens in the news this week? I know, but, I was just saying that. Yeah, Jamie Kloss, you know, mm-hmm. she was, and so it just kind of brought it, like, I was like, wow, you know, because I've kind of got a little insight into, you know, probably some of what she's thinking oh. or feeling or whatever, you know. I did see um, Elizabeth Smart on mm-hmm. the news talking about, you know, what possible things Jamie could be going through, and I thought, oh, what a great role model, yep. you know, Elizabeth Smart is mm-hmm. to sh- show survivors how to yep. exist. But I, but when I saw that Jamie um, was found, it made me think of our last conversation on our podcast about the Midlight, Midnight Line that I, the book I had um, chosen from Lee Child right. that took place in rural areas oh, yeah. and how there can be cabins and no one around for a long, long time. And it's very easy to hide. I know. Well, that was going to be my question for you. I was like, do you think, mm-hmm. you know, like I've always felt like, okay, South Florida, <laughs> I mean, we don't have basements, you know, so I'm like, eh, it doesn't happen <laughs> down here that much, you know, but now you hear these people yeah. are put in boxes and under beds and oh. things. But do you think that overall, like maybe even this is more prevalent than we realize, you know, because there is so many remote places and if it can happen in closed in places, imagine out there. I mean, there yeah. might be like all kinds of really sadistic. I think of... the sad reality is that especially in the Midwest where, you know, she was found in Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think that um, there are a lot, there's a lot of space. Mm-hmm. And I think people are very trusting in the Midwest mm-hmm. because there's not as much overt crime, you know, as there is right. in more populated areas, obviously. Um, and so I do think that people are lulled into a false sense of security in mm-hmm. in this area. I really do. Yeah. It's, I mean, you just don't know what can go behind, you know, what goes on behind closed doors. And right. when those closed doors are many, many, many miles between each other, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you never know. And, and, but all this, like this book took place in like the Pacific Northwest. And that's actually where that might explain why it takes place there, because that's where yeah. Colleen Stan was taken in and everything. So, and again, it's like, you know, the, far away from people they can be mm-hmm. anyway. Well, I just thought that Very was interesting. Yeah. I thought it was interesting. And, and now that we've had this really 
dark turn <laughs> of our conversation. <laughs> well, it is. It is a very. It's it's food for thought. I mean, I think it's yes. a. Um, you know, it, right. I, when Aunt, when mm-hmm. Amy was found. Um, you know, it was, it sounds like it was kind of a lucky coincidence that somebody was out walking their dog. I mean, she may have gone for miles without seeing another human. And so just think how hard that makes it on law enforcement yeah. to be searching such a much wider net. No, I know. I know. Well, you really, you would really like this book. It's so interesting and it's really I a would page like that turner. Yeah. I'm telling you, I really, really enjoyed it. It's called the Edible. Yeah. So anyway, um, so we're going to switch now and we're going to talk about the food because that's on a much lighter note. Oh, good. I'm so <laughs> and glad. They do eat in this book. <laughs> but, um, and in the, in the beginning <laughs> of this book, she, she has like a scene where um, it's Thanksgiving. And so she, you know, kind of a family gathering. It's kind of, you know, interesting for her psychologically and all that kind of stuff. But she does get a plate of turkey, cranberry sauce, and hot biscuits. And so that made me think, I was wondering... <laughs> Yeah. Do you guys up in South Dakota have hot biscuits? Do you have them, one, do you have them with Thanksgiving? And two, do you guys even know what biscuits are? Because, I mean, I feel like it's a southern food, but okay. maybe I'm wrong. One, we do not have them with Thanksgiving. I've never heard of anybody in the Midwest having biscuits with Thanksgiving. Okay. And two, I agree with you, it is definitely a southern food, right? Biscuits and gravy or mm-hmm. whatever. I, honestly, I have never had a made-from-scratch biscuit in my life. Oh, my gosh. You're missing out. I mean, I will buy the Pillsbury can. And yeah, I... but that's not the same. And, you know, I no. don't really... I'm not a connoisseur. Like, I don't make them. I mean, I've made them with... Yeah. The, the farthest I've gone close to that is, like, with Bisquick, you know? So but, why is that um, such a Southern thing? I mean, why? Because, you know, know, we make dinner rolls here. I mean, we make a lot of wonderful breads in the Midwest, but I... That's a good question. I mean, I didn't you know, look why? into that. Um, I know that it's, you know, like, because I lived in North Carolina, so the mountains, biscuits were everywhere. Everybody had biscuits. When I was in college, there was a place called Sunshine Biscuit that I would just go to all the time, get myself a chicken biscuit, you know, it was so good. And what it's still the there. I always... It's a biscuit with chicken in the middle, fried chicken in the so, middle. So as opposed to just like a chicken sandwich. It's a chicken sandwich on a biscuit. On a biscuit. The, okay. Yeah. It's fried chicken on a biscuit. And why is that so good? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me just I'm... explain the crunchiness okay. of the chicken on the breading <laughs> of the fried chicken, the moistness of the chicken, and then the fluffy... Uh, <laughs> powdery lightness of the biscuit as it crumbles in your mouth. I don't know. It's really good. You just have to try it. It's really messy. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Sunshine biscuit biscuits are messy because they do kind of like crumble apart, but some are not as yeah. messy. But we actually did have it at Thanksgiving this year. Um, you had biscuits? or We had, had biscuits. You did? Um, yeah, with our dinner. Um, they, um, My cousins, some of my cousins, and they live, a lot of them in Georgia, but they, they got it, I think, from a, a biscuit place nearby in St. Pete that, um, okay. but they cooked them themselves, like they got them like pre-cooked. But I mean, they fry biscuits. I've gone to like some restaurants with fried biscuits. Oh, they're so good. I mean, those are the okay. more flared kind where you just, oh, I don't know. Well, we'll have to have some biscuits when you're down. Yeah. There's I biscuits like and to... gravy. Oh. You've, have you heard of that? 
I have. I, I okay. really am excited about the um, ahi tuna instead. <laughs> yes. Well, I can tell you the biscuits are, are really good, but it's, you know, it's definitely not good for your arteries. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not on our health right. kick, whereas ahi tuna would be. But anyway, well, that's no. interesting. So I was right. It is a more yeah. southern food. You are right. You know, we would have, you know, for Thanksgiving and like dinner rolls, like just a more of a. Yeah. And I usually do that myself because I'm not a biscuit maker. Yeah. But um, it's not unheard of down here. <laughs> well, I'm. That's very interesting. I'm. I'm yep. game to try. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so, so okay. Say, say your title and your author again. And my title is The Edge of Normal, and the author is Carla Norton. Norton. I thought it was Morton. I'm gonna look her up. I'm. Yeah. Yeah. Look her up. You might recognize her because I mean we might have had a glass <laughs> of wine with her at one of the conferences or something. She's very nice, very approachable, and. Um, and like I said, a very a Wonderful. very good writer. I, that sounds awesome. So we had a few listeners asking us to give them a little more of our perspectives, speaking of writers' conferences, from the writer's point of view. Oh, yes. And we do always listen to our MFs. We do. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> so since I chose the wine this week, I thought you could talk about something of the writerly uh, uh, situation good word kathy there we go yeah okay all right so i take you up on that offer and here's my writerly discussion um because i really thought that carla norton's book is typical of one of these and uh, my question is what's the difference between a mystery and a thriller ah and that's a big question and we might have different views it is a big question because i what's interesting is that both of us have works in pro. Or mine's a work in progress. Mm-hmm. Yours is done. Mm-hmm. Um, mine is what I consider a thriller, mm-hmm. and yours is what you consider what a mystery slash thriller. So slash. Okay. Yes. In my mind, mm-hmm. a traditional mystery is when you don't know who did it. Right. But in a traditional thriller, you probably know who did it, but you're trying to stop them right from doing more. It's kind of a bigger. Yes. Picture. That's my impression. What? Do you, what's your impression? Well, that's that's what the consensus seems to be. But I kind of take it a bit further sometimes. I mean, in that case, yes, that's why I say mystery thriller, because in my book, they're trying to figure out who did it. We don't know who did it, but it's pretty scary and you're, you know... Your th- yeah. it's a thrill ride yeah. but like in in the edge of normal we know we we're we hear and we know who the bad guy is mm-hmm. so that she's not trying to figure out who the bad guy is she's just trying to you know find the other missing girls or whatever and so there is some mystery element to but mostly it's like page turner oh my gosh is he gonna get her right that type of thing Right. And so a lot of times I think that mystery is also like a pretty broad encompassing and thriller is more specific under that because we say all kinds of mysteries. We say cozy mysteries, traditional mysteries, mm-hmm. um, you know. Yeah, I would, so, I would I agree with that. Yeah, I would agree with that, yeah. that, that the thriller is a... I'd be interested if there's any other writers out there that want to give their two I cents. I would too. I would too. And I would be curious about writers who have written both mysteries and thrillers, what they consider mysteries and thrillers. I, right. I can think of Hank Philippi Ryan. Mm-hmm. Her last standalone, which we discussed in one of our podcasts, was mm-hmm. considered a... A thriller, I believe, but I think mm-hmm. her previous books in the series were considered mysteries, and so, right. you know, I I always am wondering: do the writers put those labels on, or their publishers? That's or, a good question. Know, huh? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So Interesting. Maybe uh, you know 
somebody can go on our Facebook discussion group and answer that question for us or put in there for two cents because I think it is pretty subjective. It's not not cut in stone from what I can tell. Right. Absolutely. And then there's the whole category of suspense. Yes. And I think how I mean, I know, right? We could go on all day. You know? Oh, goodness. Yeah. We could. <laughs> Our sound editor is probably going to I know. He's, off, he's over there giving me the eye, like, uh, wrap it up, wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> wrap it up. Okay. So I these are two really good books to add to your shelves, yes. though. I, I, um, I think you have a thriller and Edge of Normal. And I, I would say The Last Mrs. Parrish is suspense, mm-hmm. probably. I don't know that I would put it in the thriller category. Right. Now that we're talking about that, that's interesting. Yeah. But we'll have to do that one next. Anyway. <laughs> Good reads, yes. All right. And the wine. The wine is good, too. It's a good day all I think all it's around. a delicious wine. <laughs> oh, a good day by head by all. A fun was head by all. Yes. Uh, okay, and so just to recap, the wine is Josh Cabernet Sauvignon from Josh Cellars. Mm-hmm. And it is a lovely bottled wine. It was their first bottle they produced. Oh, okay. Cabernet. All right. So I guess we can wrap it up and say that um, we've enjoyed this time we've had together (laughs) and that's all for this episode of game of books where we share food wine and mystery if you like listening then be sure to subscribe to us so you can get your food wine and mystery tips every friday morning and also your writer's perspective just in time for the weekend and check out our game of books facebook discussion group please uh, join us and and share your thoughts about mysteries versus thrillers Mm -hmm. Maybe share an organizing tip. Oh, yes. <laughs> I need whatever help I can get. <laughs> right? Okay, so this is Kathy. And this is Christy. Saying thanks for listening. Bye, Bye everybody. everybody.